Bonjour, and welcome to the Good Life France podcast. I'm Janine Marsh, once a city slicker from old London town. I'm now a country girl living in rural bliss in northern France with my 50 animals, including a hedgehog house guest, Breadman, the man who delivers my bread to the rather isolated little hamlet where I live. There are no shops or bars, says I should call my house the Hedgehog Hilton. When I'm not being a maid, caterer and cleaner for the animals, I write books and travel articles for my website and I produce a magazine and I chat to you on this podcast where I share everything France with you alongside my podcast partner Olivier Joffrey. The Good Life Francis podcast. Everything you want to know about France and more with Janine Marsh and Olivier Joffrey. Hello, I'm Olivier Geoffrey. I moved to the UK almost 20 years ago now, and I live near Windsor, west of London, of course. That's only because I like it here very much, but almost everything I do professionally now is linked to France, like this podcast with you, Janine, uh, that we launched a few months ago now, with uh, so many uh, interesting topics, comedy books, cakes, inspiring stories. It's like discovering my uh, native country all over again. I love it. Anyway, it's time to do our usual catch-up now, Janine. How was your week? Busy, busy, I'm guessing, as usual? Well, there's never a dull day here, and uh, we've taken on two puppy Labradors, so it's been a bit busier than usual. I took them to the vets, and he he just, you know, for the check-up when we got them, and he just rolls his eyes whenever we go there. It's usually with a stray cat that needs checking over, and I always say, no, we're not taking in any more cats. We've got eight now, um, but I think he doesn't believe me. So when we went there with the Labradors about three weeks ago, he just snorted with laughter, and then he said they're just going to be really big dogs, and they're very willful full and they're going to be the sort of dogs that escape all the time and well he's not wrong because the last few weeks have been about refencing the garden trying to labrador proof everything one of them tried to eat my scarf while i was putting the lead on both of them thought it would be a good idea to eat solar lanterns in the garden tasty enough to have a go at at least and we're just finding that absolutely nothing is safe from them so we're kind of labrador fairy godmothers at the moment and trying to keep them safe from themselves and stop them eating the house what about you how's your week been <laughs> uh, i feel for you uh, janine uh, <laughs> yeah i feel for me too <laughs> yes it was a good week uh, on my side uh, as a family we had uh, again a big conversation about uh, where uh, we would like to live in france as you know we all live in the uk of course uh, uh, if we were to come back at some point of course that's something that happens uh, regularly at home not something we'll do soon but you know when uh, Emily our daughter goes to uni Crystal and I we might look at moving back to France to retire Ooh. yeah a bit early if we can so last year we have started to travel to France a bit more you know, to uh, explore France, just to see uh, if we can picture ourselves living there and there. We went to Ardèche, a bit too quiet for us, probably, and uh, Burgundy, for example. And the next one will probably be uh, Dordogne next summer, so we'll see. Absolutely no decision has been taken so far, and we have a lot of time anyway, but at the very least, it's, uh, it's a good excuse to rediscover the best regions of France, which is not bad. So, to be continued, we'll see. Oh, I think it's brilliant. You know, the chance to keep looking around, thinking about where you want to live, nothing better. And now, the main event. The Good Life Francis podcast interview. Yes, I believe it is time to welcome our guest for the main feature of our podcast already, the interview. So who's joining us this week, Janine? 
Our guest today is British author Stephen Clark, who lives in Paris. He has sold more than one million books worldwide, including the hugely popular and hilarious Merde series, which began with A Year in the Merde, based on Stephen's own experiences in France, I suspect, and with names changed to avoid embarrassment, possible legal action, and to prevent the author's legs from being broken by someone in an Yves Saint Laurent suit. His words. He's also written several history books on topics such as the French Revolution, Waterloo, a biography of Dirty Bertie, also known as King Edward VII, who enjoyed a playboy life in Paris and France. And he's written many more books about Paris and the French. Stephen, welcome to the show today. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So I'm going to dive straight in and ask you if you can tell us a little bit about your background, where you're from originally, because I know you live in Paris now, but you're mm-hmm. not from Paris. And if you can tell us a bit about life before Paris, really. Life before Paris. Well, I think it was a swamp. Actually, it's turning back into a swamp now because, <laughs> of, the, because of the rain. My life before I came to Paris, uh, well, I grew up mainly in Bournemouth on the south coast of England, where I spent a lot of time on the beach a lot of time playing bass in a rock band, but managed to get some A-levels as well. (laughs) And uh, went to Oxford, where I studied French and German, um, which was great because we talked a lot about literature. And they kind of assumed that you'd go off and learn the languages yourself. So I did. Every holiday I used to go off and um, went grape picking and working in hotels and stuff like that to, to learn the languages. So when I came out of Oxford, I was pretty fluent in French and German. And I kind of opted for France and came here to work first, as loads of people do, um, as an English teacher, teaching English to bored business people and try and stay awake in long <laughs> afternoons. And then um, I got a proper job. As I went, I went back to the UK a bit and I worked, uh, I, yeah, I worked for a dictionary company, putting rude words and computer words into dictionaries. Uh, really? Dictionaries, yeah. that, that's a real job? What happened was all these but big bilingual dictionaries were written by individual people and they were kind of slightly prudish when they wrote these dictionaries. They didn't put many swear words in, okay. apart from the obvious ones. And they also, sometimes they got things wildly wrong. So they hired a bunch of people like me who had actually lived in the countries to sort of tart the dictionaries up and make them more realistic. So I remember one, um, what the best one I found was the, um, in one of these French dictionaries, the, the, the French word jouir, which means to have an orgasm, was <laughs> translated by somebody in the 1970s, I suspect, or earlier, as to have a really good time. Horrific mistranslation. So you can just imagine someone here. Imagine in a novel, you see a character saying, uh, ah, je suis en train de jouir, and it's, I'm having a really good time. You know, even a, a yeah. duchess wouldn't uh, be that prudish. So that could be you, terribly misconstrued, couldn't it, it really? Terribly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want, yeah, yeah. Let's go and play cards and have a really good time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, we went in there and uh, I put in loads of, um, I'm not sure how many swear words I can say, but if you look at the Collins Robert Dictionary, uh, look up the English word mother effer, and yes. you'll see a whole um, entry that I compiled and translated and things like that. Linguistically, it was fascinating because you know, I was having to explain to um, French translators, you know, all the different contexts you could re- use these words in. Fantastic. And they were getting different translations. So that was a proper job. Then I came back to Paris and worked as a journalist, a sub-editor on a ma- an English language magazine. And then I kind of progressed through the ranks um, by poisoning my superiors. And I became editor of this English language magazine. And then when I lived here for te- about 10 years, 
I wrote A Year in the Merde. So it wasn't just a touristy book of someone who came here and says like, um, oh my God, people eat these long sticks of bread, which I've never seen before. It was like real life in Paris, in a company, finding somewhere to live, having lots of bad experiences and exaggerating my linguistic incompetence because I could speak French, whereas Paul West in the novels can't. So, you know, he's, he's linguistically challenged. So is that the only difference between you and Paul West in the book? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, he's permanently 27, which is the, you know, the rock star age. Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, Kurt Cobain, Amy Winehouse, they all died at 27, you see. I didn't so, know that. Yeah. yeah. So I made, um, I made Paul West 27, you know, and sort of on the Whatever. Brink. Yeah, he's surviving. It's absolutely fascinating the fact that you, you know, had a job actually writing swear words in a dictionary and computer terms. Uh, As we all know, the Académie Française does not like to have anglicised terms for these things. Quite often, come up with with weird, different words. I can't think of anything at the moment, but well, well, I mean, you know, if you if you speak to someone official in France, um, they'll they'll say that they'll send you un courriel, yes, an email. Whereas French people just say je t'envoie un mail. So That's so true. They're trying to. The, the, I actually did an interview once I, uh, uh, for a French TV channel about. I went into the Académie Française and talked to them about their dictionary. And you know that they're compiling the dictionary of the French language, and they've only now got up to something like you know the end of the letter S. Uh, so anything from T onwards officially doesn't exist in French. <laughs> you know, but when I was there, they were they were arguing about the French word recré abbreviation for recreation which is what every kid calls playtime at school la recré yeah. and um, I, uh, they were debating whether to put this word in the dictionary i said well you have to you know you have to it's a it's a french word it's used by everyone oh yes but is it too vulgar to put in the dictionary i was saying oh. but it's a dictionary of the french language you know it's a living language no 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 we're gonna have to debate about it you know we're not all convinced and uh, unfortunately that well fortunately for me that wasn't at all the attitude of the language companies when i was working there because they wanted the dictionaries to present real translations of real words that we actually use, which is, you know, that's what you need to translate. I love this idea that all over Paris and France, there are probably these meetings going on where you discuss whether an abbreviation of recreation and similar words are is acceptable or not, or is it just not acceptable for us French because it's we speak a place, pure French? It's on this big building at the end of the, the <laughs> design, Centre de Paris, the Académie Française, where I think it's on Thursdays they have their dictionary meeting. Wow. Okay, so you moved from that, you moved from writing words in dictionaries to becoming a journalist, to becoming a best-selling author. And that was after being born and living in Bournemouth with its beaches, beautiful beaches. So how yeah. on earth did you end up living in Paris pretty much forever? Well, it's quite easy, you know. Um, I mean, people say the Parisians aren't friendly, which is on the surface, some of them aren't. But it's it's uh, what's great about Paris is it it's a city where kind of, Hardly anyone who lives here was actually born here. So loads of people move here from all over the place, all over France, all over the world. So anyone can become a Parisian. You know, you just have to be able to push in front of people in queues, um, <laughs> elbow people violently out of the way when you're walking on the pavement and say, pardon, and that excuses it. You, know, you just have to take on these bad Parisian habits and you become a Parisian and are accepted as such. Uh, it helps, of course, if you speak the language. And as I found, as soon as you can tell a joke in French, they love you. So, you know. That's it, you're in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and if you use a subjunctive in French, il faut que je sois là. They think you're an absolute genius and uh, you get the passport instantly. I'm going to try that. 
Yeah, yeah. I hope it works. It may not work, but I hope it does. A little while ago, we had a chap on the on the show called Olivier Giraud, who does um, a Paris uh, theatrical performance, a one-man show teaching you how to be Parisian. Mm-hmm. And I think he did mention the fact that you have to be able to push in, but he didn't say you can push people out of the way in the street and say, pardon. So I shall add that to my list. On the, on the metro, you know, when you get, maybe he doesn't use the metro. I, I mean, I use the metro a lot. <laughs> you get on the metro where there's hardly, you know, hardly any space. You can hardly get on there. You sort of, Get on the ca- into the carriage, shove forward because you don't want to get your head trapped in the doors, you know, or turn turn around and shove backwards. Or if you want to get off, sometimes you have to, you know, people won't let you off, so you have to elbow your way out past them, and you just not literally elbow necessarily, you know, and a good shoulder barge is effective as well. And you say pardon, and it <laughs> kind of excuses this extreme violence that you're inflicting on people. And Do you smile when you fun. say it? Yeah, yeah, you, you're perfectly, you know, pardon. If you want to get on in, in Paris, you always greet everyone. You say, bonjour, like that, like I'm saying it, sing song, bonjour, you're happy, you know, because that bonjour, it doesn't just mean hello. What it usually means is bonjour, yes, I exist, and please stop looking at your phone, look at me and do your job. And if you just say bonjour like that, you'll get whatever you want. And at the same time, if you say pardon without sounding annoyed, people will get out of the way and let you pass and let you get off the metro. Is, there's no point getting annoyed. You know, when people get annoyed, you get these huge arguments on the metro, you know, between people like they say, you know, don't raise your voice. Oh, you raise your voice first. No, you raise your voice. The, the, the answer is just stay calm and pleasant and <laughs> we'll get on well. And say, pardon. Yeah, pardon. <laughs> with a bit of a with a bit of a lilt that says, I'm in charge here and I don't care what you say or do. Pardon means yeah, pardon. It doesn't mean excuse me, it means I'm coming through, so you better get out of the way. <laughs> It sounds to me, I mean, there's a bit in your in your first book where Paul West, which I kind of think of as your alter ego, but he's not really, I know, but kind of. He says, um, I don't think I'm ever going to adapt to Parisian life, but clearly you have. And it sounds to me like you actually feel Parisian after, is it 20 years you've lived in Paris now? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's more than that now. I feel totally Parisian because I feel at ease in any Parisian situation. Uh, now, especially, you know, because I speak the language and um, quite often if people are being slightly unpleasant towards you, sometimes they're not being unpleasant, they're just being efficient and they're not used to, you know, dealing with amateurs like me, you know, so you just have to face up to them. But I mean, I said Paul West would never uh, survive because obviously he's keep up the suspense from book to book, you know, because he doesn't speak French. He doesn't really. And even when he starts understanding the words, he doesn't know why French people would actually say them, you know, so he's, <laughs> he's permanently lost. But then I wrote another book called um, Talk to the Snail, The Ten Commandments for Understanding the French, which is actually everything that Paul West needs to know about the French and how to get on with them. Um, but he's never actually read it quite obviously. And it's well, it many commandments for understanding the French, except because the French is so complicated, you can't squeeze it all into Ten Commandments. So there are actually 11 commandments. 11 commandments. Yeah. I really like that. I'm going to read Talk to the Snail next because uh, my dream is to one day live in Paris. I'm not sure I'd want to live there all year because I really like living in the countryside and I've got 52 animals. I'm not sure there's a Parisian neighbour alive that's going to welcome me with that many animals. But no, I, no. but I do dream of, of going there. So I do need to learn how to be a proper Parisian like you say, I mean, people do say, oh, Parisians are rude, but I, ne- I never find that. I find Parisians to be really generous natured, help me when I'm lost. People carry my suitcase up and down the stairs when I'm trundling through stations looking like I don't know where I'm going, which is frequent. So, no, yeah. I, I agree with you. Parisians are not what they seem on the surface. 
Not always. I mean, so there are snooty areas, you know, where in the in the sixth, maybe seventh arrondissement, where people are a bit snooty and they're not so pleasant. But you know, I live up in the north of Paris, in the nineteenth, and here everyone is really, you know, helpful. If you're looking lost, and uh, they always find someone to help them. What do you think qualifies the sixth and the seventh to be so snooty? Just the amount of money in the area, do you think? Yeah, a lot of money in the area. It's a, the seventh is very old money. And the six is more new money. <laughs> and I'm, I mean, I'm generalizing vastly here, but but they're they kind of it's the it's uh, the old um, you know in the seventh there are lots of um, very posh government buildings. The the, the um, prime minister lives in the seventh. You know the prime minister. You know Downing Street is a, is a beach hut compared to <laughs> the, the French where the French prime minister lives. I'm not talking about the president. The president, of course, lives in the presidential palace, the Elysee, uh, just behind the Champs Elysees. The the prime minister lives in a, a, a also a palace called Matignon, which has the biggest private garden in Paris. I think it's something like, I might be exaggerating, 30,000 square metres. Wow. And that's just the prime minister. Um, so that is the kind of area where it is. And there are other sort of ministries. All, and there's the uh, Assemblée Nationale, the parliament building there. And even if, you, if the French think they're a bunch of revolutionaries, their MPs live a life of uh, luxury, I can tell you. And oh, I of course. And I'm very, I'm very much doubt if the French Prime Minister is out there on a Sunday afternoon planting tulip bulbs in his very big garden. I shouldn't think so. No, no. He, he had to form a series of, like, from an army of gardeners working for him. It's a nice thought, though, isn't it? What? Can you imagine Macron and the Prime Minister out there, sort of, maybe sitting around with a cup of coffee in the garden, just saying, "What colour tulips are you going to put in? Are you going to put any narcissus in this year?" So. Well, I think where the times being what they are, they're probably planting leeks and cabbages. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, actually, that's not a bad thing either. I, I quite agree with that. I'm doing that myself at the moment. Yeah. So have you ever decided that one day I want to live outside of Paris? Have you ever considered living anywhere outside of Paris? Or are you properly full on Parisian and feel that there is no life outside the capital? And that's it. No, I'm not that Parisian. I mean, it's true that culturally, a lot of Parisians think that... Uh, nowhere else on the planet exists yes uh, you know i'm not i'm not one of those probably i mean probably probably because i'm you know an immigrant paris is a kind of endlessly fascinating place and i find parisian attitudes to things to everything you know everyday life but also to history that's why i've written so many history books is because i have these wonderful arguments with people about french history where, you know, when I tell them, I wrote, you know, I wrote a book called A Thousand Years of Knowing the French. Yes. Which, um, and uh, I, I regularly get sort of insulting emails from French people, some of them famous <laughs> when they're more insulting. You know, in that book, I explained that Joan of Arc, okay, she was burnt by English soldiers, but she was actually captured by French soldiers because it was during a civil war and put on trial by a Parisian bishop. They convicted her of witchcraft and blasphemy for wearing men's clothes. They made a promise not to do it anymore. And they tricked her. And they said, if you um, put on a dress, we'll take you out of the military prison where you are, where she was scared of getting raped, and we'll put you into a nunnery. So she wore a dress, signed the document with an X because she couldn't read. And you can actually see the document. Then they put her straight back in the military prison where she was scared. So she put on men's trousers again. And so the French said, okay, blasphemy. And then they gave it to the British soldiers to be burnt. Now, my book, A Thousand Years in Only the French, contains loads of debunking stories like that. Seriously researched, but told in a sort of humorous way. So I love going outside Paris. You know, um, I love nipping up to Dieppe, which has got a fantastic outdoor 
seawater swimming pool. It's open all year. So I go up there for a swim now and again in yeah. winter. It's fantastic. <gasps> no, I love, I love France. France is a um, wonderful country for traveling around. You know, you outside Paris, you're straight into the countryside really quickly. You know, these huge forests. And of course, the coastline, you know, is wonderful. But living here, for me, looking for material for my books, living here is what I know best. And you should always write about what you know best, I think. Absolutely. Now, I didn't know they had an open air swimming pool that was that you could go to all year round in Dieppe, but I'm not actually sure that I'd be tempted to swim in winter. I mean, it gets a bit cold in Normandy, doesn't it? Well, it's fantastic. The water is heated up to something like 26 degrees or something. Ah. So you, you get changed. You then walk as fast as you can without slipping and falling over <laughs> uh, in your swimming costume. Go outside, absolutely freeze for about 20 seconds, and then you're in this... Uh, heated seawater and you're swimming along and you're you know being in the warm water in the cold air and swimming is uh wonderful and no i could definitely go for that yeah yeah no it's a one i recommend yep is a dieppe's a nice you know town the castle the museum in the castle is really beautiful as well some great paintings of uh of dieppe like you say, though, you know, you, you can just hop on a train from Paris and you can be in Annecy in the French Alps just a couple of hours later or in Avignon in Provence or in Lille or I think it's only about an hour to Reims and it's not much longer to Strasbourg. Um, you know, yeah, and it's mm-hmm. such a diverse country, isn't it, from one yeah. side to the other? If you get on a train at the Gare de Lyon, sort of about 10 o'clock in the morning, you can actually have lunch by the Mediterranean. It's amazing. Yeah. So when you moved to France more than 20 years ago now is there anything that you did or didn't do that looking back on now you think oh I I should have done that or I shouldn't have done that something that you might have done differently bearing in mind that it wasn't Brexit then and things were Mm -hmm. you know we could travel quite a lot easier and you and you could take whatever you like on on the Euro tunnel and you know I don't think in those terms because um, I'm very lucky with uh, what's happened to me while I've been here you know my journalism job was fun. Then uh, I had this novel which sold, as you say, a million. And then so I was able to give up the day job and concentrating on concentrating on writing. So I can't say, you know, I'd really change anything because things have worked out really well. But um, I'm just trying to think. I mean, odd things, odd mistakes I made, like gaffes, you know, even linguistic gaffes, because I could speak French. But I, but I wasn't entirely up on the nuances of um, spoken French. So I remember once going to uh, some sort of party or other, and um, with, uh, there was a woman there uh, who I was sort of vaguely interested in, and her mother was there as well. And her mother was a bit of a vamp kind of thing, you know. <laughs> and, um, and I said to this girl, I said, uh, I, I wanted to say, you know, oh, your mum, you know, she's, she's really well-preserved, you know, she's, a, <laughs> she's kept her sort of vamp you know, thing, the, her vamp side, you know, like that. I was trying to be flattering. But what I actually said was in French, elle a gardé un côté salope, which means, which actually means like she's kept a sort of sluttish side to her. I mean, <laughs> that didn't go down at all well. And no, uh, I can imagine. You know, I didn't realise immediately what was happening, but by then it was too late. So, I mean, I've, I made a few linguistic gaffes like that. This is one I put in one of my novels, uh, Merde, actually. Uh, the follow-up to uh, a year in the mail. Uh, the you know the, the French um, pronounce the r cœur. Your heart is le cœur, and if you don't pronounce the r, you know if you if you don't if you say cœur, yes, like that, that is something very different. That means a man's willy. Oh, so you have to say 
God, I'm, I'm pretty, I can't roll my R at all, and I'm really bad at that. So I've probably yeah, been well, getting it wrong for a long time. It's quite strange, isn't it? I mean, you, you know, you often read in mostly British or American newspapers that the French aren't interested in the personal lives of their politicians, for instance. But I, I think that's kind of um, something that the media perpetuates in, in France to a certain yeah. extent. And, um, and because French people admire writers, even journalists still in France, um, I think that that sort of that attitudes towards allowing people to get away with things is perpetuated when actually when I speak to yeah. my French neighbours, they're all terribly interested in what's going on. Yeah, yeah a, there is a sense that here in France, that it kind of if you're in the in crowd, you're not entirely untouchable, but you're kind of um, floating above everyone else. And they're, they're, sometimes it does need a bit of debunking you know mm. i'm pretty thing, sure that's the same everywhere actually yeah a bit less so here, here because politicians always think they're sort of film stars they always want they're always in the media they always want to be in media you know even very minor opposition politicians who've hardly got any votes or you know voters they'll they're sort of in the media all the time and you you think why why is the why is this journalist, you know, TV journalist, giving so much time to this person? It, right or left, it's nothing to do with the partisan politics. It's just, you know, this this person is in opposition, has no power. We're not really interested in their politics. What do we want to know is like, what is the government up to? Yeah, I totally agree. It's a, it's a cultural thing, and mm. and talking of culture, I mean, you are you live in one of the most cultural cities in the world. Do you have a favourite cultural place or an aspect of cultural life in Paris? Something that you just go, this is just so Paris, maybe a museum or something like mm-hmm. that, or, or a restaurant that's very cultural or yeah, something like that. I do. I, I, um, I have a, a great affection for the, the Musée Carnavalet. Yes. Which, um, in, it's in the Marais, a beautiful, it's in a beautiful medieval former sort of palace type of thing. And you go in there. It's free. You can just wander in there as often as you want. And it's not usually crowded. And you can wander around. Um, they've actually refurbished it. And they seem to have made it a deliberate policy to make you get lost when you're in there. <laughs> but, uh, uh, they, I don't know what they've done. But anyway, it's a bit harder to find your way around. But they have fantastic exhibition about the um, permanent exhibition about what went on during the, the Commune and the Siege of Paris in 1870 to 71, you know, when the Prussians were besieging Paris and Parisians were reduced to um, slaughtering zoo animals uh, for food and eating yes. and things like that. And they've got paintings from the time of, you know, rat sellers in the street and, and things like that. And they, they go into the minutiae of Parisian history, which, uh, which interests me a lot. And uh, that's a great little museum. Uh, and it's not really crowded because, you know, the big museums like the Louvre and Orsay, um, you have to book a ticket a long time in advance and wait for ages. So yeah. Carnaval is a nice place to go, I find. And what about French food? Do you, do you cook or do you have a favourite restaurant in Paris or a favourite dish? I do. I cook quite a lot, but usually it's a case of improvising, you know, ah, what's, what is there here? What have we got in the fridge sort of thing? But, um, Are you near a market? Yeah, near t- uh, twice a week market, yeah. um, which is great, you know, for fresh uh, fruit and veg and fish and everything. Um, I mean, I love going to fairly ordinary Big French cafes, yeah. which with a handwritten menu. Always, I always get, try and go f- places with the plat du jour. Go to a place which has the like the dish of the day, plat du jour, because then you know this, this means the chef has, has got these ingredients and decided to make this today. 
Um, so I never go to places where there's a vast array of dishes because you, you kind of think that some of them are going to be microwaved. Always go to the places <laughs> with the, the handwritten, like, plat du jour outside. Paul West's favourite dish is um, chèvre chaud, which he thinks it means hot goat, but in fact it means hot goat's cheese salad on toast. Yeah. Fantastic. So it's that kind of a local attitude of people that live, you know, if you're not going out with clients or if you're not going any, out anywhere quite swanky, you would specifically look for that kind of bistro with a yeah. handwritten menu. And that's a yeah. local thing that Parisians do. It's a local thing. And I also I tell people, um, if you're going to go out for lunch, go to an office area for lunch, like go to the like the Grand Boulevard near near like Boulevard Haussmann and around there, because that's where there are loads of offices and around Boulevard Haussmann, there are quite a lot of sort of swanky lawyers' offices and things like that. Not not vastly sort of, uh, not very swanky, but sort of a bit upper class kind of thing. But yeah. and, and those people are, are very fine judges of cuisine. So all the cafes and restaurants around there will have an ever-changing menu and um, for a fresh food, you know, and you can go around there and you can, they'll have a sort of dish of the day for probably under 15 euros, which will be really good. And uh, ideally, they want these people to come back every day. So they yes. change the menu all the time. And they're the best places to have lunch, those those neighbourhoods. I'm going to look for these places when I come back next time. There are lots of them because you just have to go to a place like in the 9th, say, or the arrondissement, which is where the Grand Boulevard are, around near the department stores, but not too close to them because it's bit, things get a bit touristy. I think Paris has so many hidden places, doesn't it? Because I know that, you know, when I'm taking the train from Gare du Nord, there's a little market about two minutes, two or three minute walk from from the station. It's this grand station. And then there's this tiny covered market. And then inside they've got actually a, a really excellent like bar where they do food and there's an oyster bar where you can just sit and have a couple of oysters and a glass of wine. But you would never know it to walk past. It just looks like an ordinary covered market. Mm-hmm. But you have to dig a bit deep sometimes with Paris, don't you? Yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, each neighbourhood has its uh, has its secrets. So, if you were to suggest one place to visit in Paris that a tourist or the average expat even would probably never find, oh. is there anywhere you'd recommend? Would probably never find. Oh gosh. Yeah. Um, if, if 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 they were just reading your average guidebook and this, you know, yeah. somewhere that might not be in a guidebook because it's just right. not considered big ticket enough. Yeah. Well, I um I wrote a book called. Um, Paris Revealed, where I gave a few of these uh, sort of things. It's about sort of the, the insider's view of the city, Paris Revealed. And uh, the I recommended taking a trip out, go to on the metro to La Muette, which is way out in the west of Paris. And you have to walk, if you walk about half a mile, even further west from La Muette, you come to a muse, museum called the Marmottan. Oh, yes. And this contains Claude Monet's personal private collection of paintings including loads of his own and loads of other expressionist paintings including some really nice ones by Bert Morisot. I agree I think it's an amazing place and it sounds like your book is just the sort of thing that people who Mm. want to come to Paris and see a different side of it I mean we all love the Eiffel Tower don't get me wrong I absolutely adore the Eiffel Tower and never get sick of seeing it but but there's so much more to Paris that you can see and discover and explore that it's like an endless well of fascinating places, isn't it really? Yeah. Oh, well, I love Paris and the whole historic thing, but thinking about your books, I don't recall that Paul West, our hero was ever particularly into art. 
um, <laughs> coming up. I think, are you writing the seventh book in the series at the moment? Will I he find, written, will he discover art in this book? I have, no, he doesn't. Uh, well, in, I've just written, finished writing one uh, in which he, he tries to become a French citizen. This is his latest adventure. <laughs> um, so he has to go through all the interviews, which, I mean, I did. I, I did this. I, I've taken French nationality now because, um, you know, since Brexit, British expats here in Paris were being told, you know, get citizenship, you know, make sure you don't get thrown out of the country, mm. you know, um, if there's some sort of reciprocal thing goes wrong. So I went through and it was kind of tragicomic. It was it was very funny. So I have written it down in, in the novel. Uh, he's doing that. And he's also um, work. He's do, also doing something which I won't reveal yet for the Paris 2024 Olympic Committee Ooh. in the in the story because that's surely not participating. No no, he's, <laughs> no not exactly but uh, um I don't want to give too much away because okay. no you're right he he doesn't actually get much into art he's um he's not, actually Paul West is someone who has to um, work pretty hard to make a living because he keeps getting fired from all his different jobs. <laughs> yeah but that's what makes him so fun. Oh, Stephen, this has been absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. And and it's been a fascinating window into historic Paris and the life of a of a famous author in Paris. Thanks. You can buy Stephen's books on Amazon and all good bookstores and support your local high street bookshop as well and ask them to order the books in if they're not in stock. Mm-hmm. And you can find out all about Stephen Clark and new books coming out and all of his books he's got out there via his website. That's stephenclarkwriter.com. Thank you very much, Stephen Clark. And now it's your time to ask questions. Got a question about France? Well, ask the experts. We reply to you in each episode and we do it for free. So yes, this is your feature, your time to shine in our podcast. You are the one asking the questions and we answer them. Simple as that. So what's today's question, Janine? Ah, it's a fun one today. Today's question is from Tammy McBride in Canada. She says that she read somewhere that French people don't hug. She wants to know if this is true or false. So, Olivier, Mm -hmm. what is it? Do French people hug? And the answer is no. We don't hug in France. <laughs> we don't like it. We kiss uh, a lot on the cheeks, uh, twice, three times, four times, depending on where you live. We shake hands a lot. We touch shoulders sometimes, but we don't hug at all. We, you would imagine we do as Latin people. We, we just don't. No, I read somewhere that actually some places do five kisses. Wow. Can you imagine? Can you imagine going to a party where there are maybe 20 people and you have <laughs> to do five kisses with everyone? You're never going to get to the food, are you? <laughs> no. But this is, yeah, this is a brilliant, fun question, Tammy. And and yes, I have to be honest, I cannot ever recall a time when any of my French friends and neighbours gave me a hug. Kisses, yes. Hug, no. I think they'd actually be really horrified if I threw my arms around <laughs> them and squeezed them tight. They really don't mind a kiss on the face four times, five times, as I said. But hugging no americans are huggers australia's uk but if you sat on a bench in a in the park or a street cafe and watch the world go by in many countries you're you're going to see people greeting each other you're going to see people hugging each other but in france never i've got an american friend and she married a french man and she told me that the first time she met her french father-in-law to be she threw her (laughs) arms around him and he just stood there stock still he was rigid. He didn't move. He was like a statue. And she just didn't know what to do. So she hung on. She just clung to him. Yeah, <laughs> I can picture longer. it very well. Yeah. <laughs> the whole room, oh God, can you imagine? And the whole room went quiet. 
and she just she didn't know what to do the family just watched her and eventually she let go and she turned around and she saw that everyone was looking at her just totally horrified hugs are for romantic interludes in france not for strangers or acquaintances or just friends if you do that you could give the wrong message and it's definitely going to be really weird for a french person so tammy in france kiss not hug and everyone will live happily ever after <laughs> so now you know <laughs> and that's very important <laughs> The Good Life Francis podcast. Everything you want to know about France and more. Okay, that's almost uh, the end of the podcast, uh, this episode at least. So Janine, what is coming up next? In the next episode of the Good Life France podcast, we're going to be spreading a little bit of Christmas cheer and chatting about the traditions, history, culture and food of France at Christmas. <laughs> I couldn't resist, sorry. <laughs> you can subscribe to the Good Life France podcast at www.thegoodlifefrance.com and at parischanson.fr. And don't forget to have a read of our totally free glossy magazine. It's brimming with fabulous features and fantastic photos, recipes, guides, and more. You'll find it at magazine.thegoodlifefrance.com. Thanks so much for listening to uh, the Good Life France uh, podcast. Please do continue to message us questions you may have for our fun uh, Q&A segment and uh, tune in from your favorite podcast platform next time. It's au revoir from me in France. And goodbye from me in Britain. Speak to you soon. The Good Life Francis podcast. Available on all podcast platforms, on thegoodlifefrance.com and on parischansong.fr.